And as you're seated, please open to Genesis chapter 25, and we'll read this chapter together and then study it and learn what the Lord has for us. From Genesis chapter 25, beginning in verse 1, Abraham took another wife whose name was Keturah. She bore him Zimran, Jokshan, Medan, Midian, Ishbak, and Shua. Jokshan fathered Sheba and Dedan. The sons of Dedan were Asherim, Letushim, and Leumim. The sons of Midian were Ephah, Epher, Hanok, Abidah, and Eldah. All these were the children of Keturah. Abraham gave all he had to Isaac. But to the sons of his concubines, Abraham gave gifts. And while he was still living, he sent them away from his son Isaac eastward to the east country. And these are the days of the years of Abraham's life, 175 years. Abraham breathed his last and died in a good old age, an old man and full of years, and was gathered to his people. Isaac and Ishmael, his sons, buried him in the cave of Machpelah in the field of Ephron, the son of Zohar the Hittite, east of Mamre, the field that Abraham purchased from the Hittites. There Abraham was buried with Sarah, his wife. After the death of Abraham, God blessed Isaac, his son, and Isaac settled at Beer Lahai Roy. These are the generations of Ishmael, Abraham's son, whom Hagar, the Egyptian, Sarah's servant, bore to Abraham. These are the names of the sons of Ishmael, named in the order of their birth, Nebaioth, the firstborn of Ishmael, and Kedar, Abdil, Mibsam, Mishma, Duma, Masa, Hadad, Tima, Jatur, Nafish, and Kedemah. These are the sons of Ishmael, and these are their names by their villages and by their encampments, twelve princes according to their tribes. These are the years of the life of Ishmael, 137 years. He breathed his last and died and was gathered to his people. They settled from Havilah to Shur, which is opposite Egypt in the direction of Assyria. He settled over against all his kinsmen. These are the generations of Isaac, Abraham's son. Abraham fathered Isaac, and Isaac was 40 years old when he took Rebekah, the daughter of Bethuel, the Aramean of Paran Aram, the sister of Laban, the Aramean, to be his wife. And Isaac prayed to the Lord for his wife because she was barren. And the Lord granted his prayer, and Rebekah, his wife, conceived The children struggled together within her, and she said, If it is thus, why is this happening to me? So she went to inquire of the Lord. And the Lord said to her, Two nations are in your womb, and two nations from within you shall be divided. The one shall be stronger than the other. The older shall serve the younger. And when her days to give birth were completed, behold, there were twins in her womb. The first came out red, all his body like a hairy cloak. So they called his name Esau. Afterward, his brother came out with his hand holding Esau's heel, so his name was called Jacob. Isaac was 60 years old when she bore them. When the boys grew up, Esau was a skillful hunter, a man of the field, while Jacob was a quiet man dwelling in tents. Isaac loved Esau because he ate of his game, but Rebekah loved Jacob. Once when Jacob was cooking stew, Esau came in from the field and he was exhausted. And Esau said to Jacob, let me eat some of that red stew, for I am exhausted. Therefore, his name was called Edom. Jacob said, sell me your birthright now. Esau said, I'm about to die. Of what use is a birthright to me? Jacob said, swear to me now. So he swore to him and sold his birthright to Jacob. Then Jacob gave Esau bread and lentil stew. 
and he ate and drank and rose and went his way. Thus Esau despised his birthright. Father, we thank you for your word, and Lord, we pray that you would teach us through these words, God, how to trust you, the God who is in control, the God who is on his throne, Lord, the God who watches over us and keeps us and knows us, Lord, who, who sees all and knows all. And Father, we pray that you would increase and grow our faith, that we would believe and live that out. In Jesus' name, amen. Have you heard the phrase, time marches on? Yes, <laughs> time just keeps moving. It never stops. You can't stop time. It never backs up. You don't get any do-overs, no redos, undos, resets, or extra lives. Some of the video game players may <laughs> understand those, right? The, the old Nintendo, if you remember when that came out and had that reset button, you didn't have to power it all the way off. You could just hit the reset button and you'd just start right over um, video games today just seem to have extra lives, unending extra lives. You mess up, you just start over again. You just keep doing it until you pass a level or beat the bad guy or whatever you have to do. <laughs> Movies and TV shows, uh, things just go so often the bad guy keeps on coming. The good guy never dies, or if he does, he really wasn't dead, or, or they find a way to bring him back. But we know better in real life, don't we? But life doesn't happen that way. There's no reset. There's no undo, redo. It doesn't work that way. Life just keeps moving. It's going in one direction, and there's no going backward. There's no rewinding. Well, that's what's happening here in chapter 25 of Genesis. Things are moving right along. They're moving quickly. And what do we learn from that? Well, are, are we supposed to be sad about it and look back and think back to the good old days and think back and wonder why things were so good when we were younger, or when things were easier. Uh, no, that's not the lesson. By the way, um, according to Ecclesiastes 7, there's no such thing as the good old days. He says, um, it's not from wisdom. Say not, why were the former days better than these? In other words, don't say, what happened to the good old days? He says, it's not from wisdom that you ask this. It's not wisdom to look back and think, oh, those were the good old days. Those were the easier times. Those were the better times. It's not wisdom to call them the good old days, but there is wisdom in learning from the past. And this chapter starts moving ahead very quickly in the line of the Messiah, and it's teaching us, and, and it's, it, it's, it's instructing us to look at life differently in this way, that, that what's happened in the past has, has been God's plan, it's been God's will, and, and what's coming is God's plan, it's His will, and it's for a purpose, it's leading somewhere. And so it's not sadness, we're going to be learning that it should be excitement, it should be joy, even the things that, that are happening that are difficult or bad. So this chapter has four distinct parts, four sections we'll consider together, and all of them are inspired scripture. They're all God-breathed, as I was saying just a minute ago. They're important to train us in godliness, but they're not all equally instructive. So we're not going to spend the same amount of time on each of the four sections. But let's get started and, and find out from this. The first section you have in your notes is that verses 1 through 11 is the transition from Abraham. This man that Hebrews 11 held up as a man of faith, uh, this man that's called the friend of God, is now ending 
he's approaching the end of his life. And so in the first part, there are two parts in this section. A, Abraham produces many nations. Verses 1 through 4, Abraham produces many nations. You remember that God promised to Abraham in chapter 17, you're going to be the father of many nations. Well, up to this point, he's only had two sons, Ishmael through Hagar and Isaac. And so each of them will become the father of a nation, but that's only two. And Sarah, his wife, as we know, has already passed away. So how is he going to be the father of more nations, of of many nations? Well, he'll remarry. And it's not wrong, we need to understand, for a widow or a widower to remarry. It's not a bad... In fact, later on in the New Testament, 1 Timothy 5, Paul's going to command that some of the younger widows get married again. Uh, It will help them, it will keep them going with God's plan so they don't fall into passions that draw them away from Christ so that they don't become idle gossips and busybodies because that gives Satan an occasion to slander, right? That's what what Paul says in, in 1 Timothy 5. So it's not wrong or bad. In fact, it can be good for a widow or a widower to remarry if it's if it's um, what God's will is, if that's God's plan, even in the difficulty that that can bring. And Abraham isn't young here, but he decides it's it's good to remarry. He marries Keturah, which means either incense or fragrance, and he has more sons with her. And because they are children of Abraham, according to the promise that God gave him, these men become heads of nations. Apparently, each one of them does, and so. Not surprisingly, God's word, his promise, is fulfilled yet again. Um, The one that we recognize from this list is Midian. Midian's going to feature as as one of the perennial enemies of Israel throughout their history, throughout their future from this point. But this is more evidence of God's promises being fulfilled. His word happening. Abraham produces many nations. The second part of this section in B Verses 5 through 11, we see that Abraham passes God's promise to Isaac. He passes God's promises to Isaac because these men are his sons. Abraham gives gifts to them to get started in life. But they wanted no confusion at all as to who was the heir, the designated heir. It has to be Isaac. So here are your gifts, young men, and here is your direction. (laughs) Go east, right? Or for your your side, east, right? (laughs) Uh, That's north, actually, so (laughs) you get the idea. (laughs) Go east. Uh, There's confusion in the direction here, but not for Abraham. He said, "Uh, look, I've already got Ishmael, one son. He's his oldest, but he's not the heir. And he'll have 12 sons, so Abraham already has 12 grandsons through Ishmael. But that's not the line. Isaac is going to have twins, but now with Keturah, he's got six sons, seven grandsons, and three great-grandsons. There's only one line right? So he sent them all away except Isaac. You stay here in the land that God has promised, and he gave them all gifts except Isaac, who gets everything else that he has. And so Abraham lived 175 years, and to that we say, please, Lord, don't let me live that long. That's my my opinion. He breathed his last. It says he died in a good old age, full of years, and was gathered to his people. So he breathed his last. That means he died in peace. He wasn't killed by war. He died in a good old age. God gave him a a long life. He was full of years. And the idea behind that was that he died contently with with satisfaction, that that this was the life that God had for me. It was a hard life, 
It's the life of a nomad, a foreigner. It was a life of mistakes and victories. Difficult decisions, courage, weakness, and more. But God had seen him through. He was satisfied. He said, okay, that's what God had for me. It's time to go. Note that he was gathered to his people. That's the Old Testament telling us that Abraham didn't cease to exist at that point. When he died here on earth, he continued to live. So don't let anybody tell you that the Old Testament doesn't know anything about life beyond the grave. It's here for us. Abraham is still alive, just not here on this earth. More importantly, though, God is still operating. He's the living God who has outlasted Abraham, who lived 175 years. He's going to outlive Isaac. He's going to outlive Jacob. He's going to outlive all of us. (laughs) He is the eternal God. He's the God of the living, Jesus taught. He's everywhere, and he's all of the time. And Abraham, who is no longer here with his people, God is. God is still here and he's working. And so to emphasize this, from this point forward in Scripture, God will sometimes be called the God of Abraham because he's the same God that he was with with Abraham. The God who was the El Shaddai, the strong, the almighty one, the God who hears, the God who sees, the God who knows, the God who makes and keeps covenants. That same God, the God of Abraham, is the same God. He's the everlasting, true God. God who never changes. Amen. But not only has God remained the same, His plan has remained the same. It it has kept going. It's continued. Even though Abraham is now gone, God is not gone, and neither is His plan. And verse 11 says, after the death of Abraham, God blessed Isaac, his son. Just like He said He would, His plan keeps going. And it's not that time keeps marching on. It's that God's plan keeps happening. It's going to keep marching on. It's going to keep going. And so the the blessings that were on Abraham are now going to be transferred to Isaac and the covenant that he made. And all of that helps us to understand the lesson for this section in our notes. The lesson is that God's people are for God's plans. God's people are for God's plans. That's why we exist. That's why we're here. God's plan's eternal. We're not going to live here eternally. Praise God for that. We're not going to be here forever, but God is always here, and He's always working for as long as this is here, as long as there is a here, here. We're part of God's plans, but sometimes we forget, so often we forget that they are His plans that are working, that He's bringing about, not our own. When He's finished with our part, He's going to call us home. So there's not this cruel, immovable force called time that's just marching on and you're supposed to get sad because you've missed out on that or, or you know, that happened and, and I wish it never had. We're not supposed to be lamenting. God's plans are happening. That should be bringing us closer to home. It should give us that realization that we're being brought closer to home, closer to what God has for us forever in Him. So that should bring joy to us because God's ultimate plan as we sung about this morning, as we observed at the Lord's table this morning, is redemption, salvation in Jesus Christ where he takes us from what we are right now, weak, stumbling, sinful, we're short-tempered, we're angry, we're impatient, we're lustful, we're greedy, we're murderous sometimes in our minds with our anger that we get. All of these problems that happen and we don't want to do it, but we keep doing it, that struggle that, that Paul talks about in Romans 7. God's using all of this to mold us, to shape us. His plan is continuing. It's going forever. That's the end of the first section. 
the next section. Verses 12 to 18, number two, are the Toledot of Ishmael. The Toledot, the generations of. It's that word in the Hebrew for generations, and we've talked about this before. This is going to be very brief, though, uh, because this is an intentionally short section. A Toledot is that word, generations again. This is the seventh out of ten. You know, there are ten of them in Genesis, and we're about to finish the seventh one here in just a minute. That's how far along. In fact, when we finish with this chapter, we'll be halfway through with Genesis already. Some of you are saying, already? (laughs) What do you mean by that? In verses 12 to 16, we have yet more evidence that God's plan, His promises are being fulfilled. Because what did God say to Hagar and Ishmael in chapter 16 and 17 and 21? That Ishmael would be the father of an innumerable multitude and that he would make him into a nation, even a great nation. He would be the father of 12 princes. Did any of that happen? It's all happening right here. It's happening here in the generations of Ishmael. Now again, Abraham is the father of many nations. And here this nation is is coming about. Now some of these are mentioned in other places in Scripture. Some are unknown. But all of them also become enemies of Israel in history. And I thought sometimes, you know, I used to think, man, it just probably would have been better if Abraham hadn't married Keturah, if he hadn't had all these sons. But then God's promise of many nations coming from Abraham would have failed. It was good that he did this. It fulfilled God's word. It was his promise and his promises that came about. And even though it would make life difficult for Israel, it was a good thing because God used these nations in their life. As the people were faithful to God, he would deliver his people. As he, again, as he would promise that he would do, he would fulfill throughout history. So verse 17 is Ishmael's death. Also, he died in peace without the fulfillment, though, that Abraham had. We don't see the same level of satisfaction in life. His descendants scattered all across the land from Havilah to Shur. That's that's the whole area of the Levant, as we call it. Um, Syria, Jordan, parts of Saudi Arabia, the the whole area over there. His, his, His family scattered. And verse 18 says he settled over against all his kinsmen. Again, God's promise. He's going to be a wild man. He's, he's going to have, he's, his hand is going to be against all, and all will be against him. But the lesson that we see in this section is that God's promises are always fulfilled. He said, this isn't earth-shattering stuff. I know it's not, <laughs> but it's another piece of the evidence. It's, an, it's more proof for what God says and what God does. His, but part that we may miss, the part that we may be missing here is that God's promises sometimes extend far outside of who we are and what we're doing. Sometimes God's promises have nothing to do with me personally or with you, but God's still fulfilling those promises. You know, why did he, why did he make promises to Ishmael anyway? It's his purposes, his glory, and he's bringing it about. And sometimes things happen that have nothing to do with me, but they're teaching other people. Sometimes they have everything to do with me, and I'm, you know, God, what are you trying to teach me? What do you want me to learn? And and God's saying, I'm teaching somebody else as you go through something, as you endure things. Philippians 1, you remember where Paul talks about how, look, I'm in prison right now, but I want you to know that it's been furthering the gospel because everybody here knows that the only reason I'm here is because of Jesus. God was teaching other people through Paul being in prison. And he was saying, other people have started preaching Jesus. And other people have started sharing the gospel. It's all because I'm here in prison. So I don't care why they're preaching. You know, some of them are doing it for the wrong reasons. But Jesus is preached. So God fulfills his promises. Whether they're promises that 
apply to me, whether the promises that I tend to like or not, (laughs) the promises that tribulations will come. And this is all good. It's good when God's word is fulfilled, when his promises come about. Because, listen, if God makes a promise and it doesn't happen, well, why would I have any confidence that the promises that I do want, <laughs> that I am looking forward to, why would I, why would I be sure those are going to happen? Right, so God never changes his mind. He, he makes and fulfills his promises. Well, that's the second section, the third one, verses 19 to 26. We're moving right along here because there's so much for us to learn in these second two, the, the, the second half here of, of the chapter. You see the next holodote, the next generations of Isaac. And this is number eight of ten. And this generations of Isaac is going to carry us all the way through chapter 25, uh, 35 of Genesis. The point is here, what would, what, what's the point? What's the theme of, of this entire book? The whole point of this entire book, Jesus says in John 5, 39, it's Jesus. Jesus says it's me. <laughs> it's, so, so that's where it's heading. You know, that seventh, that seventh one was really short, but, but that's because the Bible was saying, look, this was happening. We need to tie that up. Here it is. Here's the end of that that we, we need to be interested in. Let's keep going. This is the progress, <laughs> the progress of God's people and the progress of God's plan happening. It just keeps on moving. So as we know, life can be challenging, right? We know that. We're we're not, that's not, again, this is not earth shattering. This is not something that's like new information for us. Life can challenge. When we face challenges that rattle us and that shake us, how do we handle those? Okay, instead of me asking that way, how should we handle those? (laughs) Maybe that's a better way, right? There are three parts to this section we're going to see. The first part here, A, in your notes, verses 19 to 21, Isaac and Rebekah face challenge one, with prayer. Challenge number one with prayer. Here's what happens to Isaac and his generation. He marries Rebekah at 40 years old. Later on, we find out that they will finally have children when he is 60 years old. So they're going to be waiting for 20 years. That is a challenge because they know that God said that your seed, your offspring is going to continue the line. That's where it has to happen. So they said, look, we got married. This was the one that God had. We're making this work. It's been 20 years. God, when's it going to happen? How do we handle this? Maybe they should, um, you know, Rebecca has a, a servant just like Sarah did. Uh, her name is Deborah. Maybe we should, Isaac, maybe you should take Deborah again, you know, like Abraham did with, with Hagar. No, they don't try any of that. In the words of the song, verse 21 says, they take it to the Lord in prayer. Isaac prayed for his wife, making an entreaty for, God, please take away the barrenness. The sovereign God, the one who's in charge of this, the one who's in control of who has children when, the one who will answer either yes or no or even not yet. But the verse says the Lord granted his prayer. So Rebecca conceived. Notice that this was a situation that was totally outside their control, right? I mean, they're, they're doing what they need to be doing to have children, but, but it's not happening. So they take it to the Lord in prayer and he answers their prayer. So suddenly she conceives. Now, it's important to remember that Isaac prayed in accordance with God's will, his revealed will, right? It was already told to them by God directly that through Isaac, you will have offspring, you will have children. So they prayed that for Isaac and Rebekah because God's word said that. And so it happened. 
when you pray God's will, when you and I pray God's word, God always answers that prayer. You say, oh, that's a little strong of a statement. Can you really back that up? Yeah. God always answers our prayer when we pray his word to him. The reason Isaac could pray that God would allow his wife, Rebecca, to conceive and that God answered that prayer with children is because that was already part of God's revealed will by name. That doesn't mean that when I pray that God's going to give me what I want unless it says in his word, this is what I will answer. (laughs) This is what I want for you, right? That includes any situation I have no control over. Will God, will God provide a way of escape for you through temptation? Yes. His word tells you he will. So if you pray that prayer, I guarantee you he will answer that prayer. But it's not my guarantee. (laughs) It's God's word. It's God's promise. So Isaac prayed according to God's specific will and God answered. It's a special case of names being applied. But God's promises that apply to all of his people apply to all of us, his people, equally. So Isaac and Rebekah face challenge number one. According to your promise, God, according to what you've said, we're praying that you will answer this prayer according to your everlasting covenant and that we'll have offspring because we can't have offspring without you. And that's always true. That is always true. But it was taught explicitly again to Isaac and Rebekah. We depend on God for everything. But then they faced another challenge, B in your notes, the second part here, verses 22 to 23. Isaac and Rebekah faced challenge two with prayer, also with prayer. Challenge number two, the the children struggled together within her, and she says, what is going on? Why is this happening to me? Now, she doesn't know it yet, but she's having twins. She does know two things. Number one, she's pregnant. Number two, there's pain. There is pain, and not just pregnancy pain. The word for struggled here is a word that means, it's a violent word. It means to oppress, to smash, to break, to crush. It can even mean to splinter into pieces. So this word for struggle is a really violent word. These boys, these twins inside are wrestling. They're jostling around inside of her womb. That's what she's feeling, pain. There's a lot of pain going on. Now listen, they had prayed to God that he would allow them to get pregnant. God has allowed them to be pregnant, and now there's all this pain. Now there's all this suffering. And they've waited for 20 years. They've said, you know, and now they're saying, God, what's going on? I prayed for this, and you answered this prayer, but now things are hard. Now things are hurting. You have this, uh, this emotional toll that this is taking. She says, if it is thus, or if this is the way it is, the ESV says, why is this happening to me? You probably have a note there with an alternate expression. Why do I live? <laughs> that, it, really, the, the original in the, in the Greek, it just seems to break off. The translators aren't quite sure what to do with this. It says literally, if it is thus, why am I... <laughs> it just breaks off. Like, what? <laughs> I don't get it. I don't understand. You know what's happening, God. You've got, an off, you've got a purpose for this offspring. And we prayed to you, but now there's pain. I don't get it. Have you been in this situation? You know, I've been praying, God, for this job, and I got this job. Now it's really hard. We were praying for children, and now we have children, but raising children is really hard. You know, why did things get so bad when you answered this prayer? And again, we don't always get to know why. The specifics, he doesn't tell us except broadly that it's for our sanctification, for our good. 
But again, the way to handle the pain and the challenge of not knowing is demonstrated by Rebecca in verse 22. It says that she inquired of the Lord. Wait a minute. He, she went to the Lord, she inquired, and then he answered it directly to her. Now, how, can I, how do I get that done? Can I do that? Can, can I go direct? How do I, how did she do that? It doesn't tell us. How did he answer her? It doesn't tell us. See, that part isn't the prescriptive part for us. That part's descriptive. It tells us what happened. It doesn't tell us what should happen for us. He's not prescribing the way of inquiring of the Lord. He's not prescribing how he answers, but he is prescribing to us that when you're facing a challenge and you don't know what's going on, you take it to the Lord. You inquire of the Lord. So the point is she took it to the Lord. They're trusting him for the answers. And by the way, the answer that she receives, you know, she gets to hear directly from God and we think, oh, if I could just hear from God why this is happening, if, I, if God would just tell me why these things are happening, then, then it would be okay. Then I'd make, it would make it better, right? That's what we think. But when God answers her, the answer is not, okay, I'll make it stop, is it? The answer is, here's why this is happening within you. It's causing all this pain, and it's not going to stop. It's going to keep going. God's answer effectively is... Um, no, I'm not going to make it stop. It's got to happen. It's going to keep going. Because there are two nations in your womb, and two peoples from within you shall be divided, one stronger than the other, the older serving the younger. If you want to know why you're feeling the pain, it's because you're having twins, and they're fighting now, and they're going to continue to fight. So they had a challenge. They took it to the Lord, and he answered it. But the answer was not relief. It was only the reason. And so when we think, well, if God would just give me the reason, that would make it okay. For one, it doesn't actually take the pain away necessarily. He, he doesn't promise that yet until he calls us home. But for two, as we see throughout Scripture, it doesn't always make it easier to even know the reason for the suffering, for the difficult times. Do you remember when Jesus told his disciples, look, things are going to get really tough. I'm going to be arrested. I'm going to suffer. I'm going to be humiliated. I'm going to be crucified. I'm going to be executed, and then I'm going to rise again. What does is, what is the spokesman Peter say? Thank you, Jesus, for telling us that. That really helps us get together with uh, what's about to happen. No, he yanks Jesus aside and starts to rebuke him. May it never be, Lord. That'll never happen to you. <laughs> yes, it will. It has to happen. It didn't make it any easier for Peter to know why bad things were about to start happening. You think about Habakkuk. You know, he's looking at the people. They're so evil. God, when are you going to judge your people? God says, I'm judging my people. I'm bringing the Babylonians. The Babylonians? <laughs> They're worse than your people. How can you judge them with, with them? It didn't make it easier for Habakkuk to know the reason of that. bad things, terrible, horrible things that were coming. It's not always easier for the people in Scripture when God speaks directly to them and says, here's what's about to happen. Here's why. So, so asking God, why is this happening, we, and we're not always going to get an answer? The answer that God's already given us is not just a platitude. The answer that we continually talk about for why things are happening in our life is not just a, a nice thing or, okay, yeah, I know that God's bringing about good. He's, he's working on my sanctification. No, that's, that's what he's doing. That's his plan for us. That's his will for us, that he's, he's shaping and molding and, and transforming us. 1 Peter 4.12, beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery trial. When it comes upon you to test you as if something strange were happening, right? I don't get it. Again, this, is, this life is not 
as much about me as I try to make it all out to be. This life is about what God is doing, what God's up to. When we sign up with, with, with this plan of God, what we're saying is, God, your will be done, not mine. I, I'm going to deny myself. I'm going to take my cross. I'm going to follow Jesus. And what Jesus said was, not my will, but yours be done. And that's what's happening in our lives. See, the struggle really comes about when, when, I, when what I want is so strong and, and it's not happening, right? When things aren't happening the way that I want. I wanted this. God, I even prayed and I said, I wanted this. And it's not happening. And God says, what you wanted is coming into conflict with what I want. And when there's a struggle between what I want and what God wants, who wins? <laughs> the Lord does. Instead, Peter says, rejoice insofar as you share Christ's sufferings, that you may also rejoice and be glad when his glory is revealed. It's not just an empty platitude to know that God is bringing into our life exactly what he wants brought in so that his plan will be completed. His plan is marching forward. His purpose is his end, like Pastor Tom talked about this morning. His end of, of the culmination of history, the redemption of his people, coming up to heaven with him forever in glory. That's, what's, that's what he's all about. That's the plan that's happening, and that's a good, perfect plan. Now, before we move on, we do need to notice one thing in verse 22. From God's inspired word, his narration for what was happening, and in light of our culture's present struggles, we cannot let this pass by. What is it that was causing the struggles within Rebecca? Was it a collection of cells? Was it extra tissue? Was it a choice? What does God call them? Children. They were babies. They were children inside her. Are there any questions about that? <laughs> from the moment they were conceived, God said, the children within you are struggling. So God saw Jacob and Esau from the moment of conception as children within Rebekah. We couldn't just let that go. <laughs> C, finally, the last part in this section, verses 24 to 26, Isaac and Rebekah named the children in faith. They named the children in faith. After facing the first challenge and taking it to God in prayer, after facing the second challenge, going to God in prayer, now they're going to respond in faith. The days are finally completed. She gives birth. Verse 25, the first one comes out all red, and his, his body is hairy like a cloak. In other words, Esau looks like a little animal. <laughs> he looks like a, a, a little animal. And they name him Harry, Esau. <laughs> That's what his name means, right? He's their firstborn boy, so he looks like an animal, but they know he's a boy, and they name him Esau because of his hairiness. That was based on his most obvious feature, the way he looked. His brother came out literally right on his heels and his hand grasping Esau's heel, and apparently there's nothing striking about his appearance, but what they name him on was his most obvious feature, his actions. They name him Jacob, which means supplanter, heel grabber, cheater overpowerer, one who takes the place of another one. Now, it could also be related to a word that means one who is protected by God. That, that's another possibility for what the word means. But in either case, they named Jacob in accordance with what God's word had told them, that the, young, the older is going to serve the younger. The younger is somehow going to take the place of the older one, what's supposed to happen in the natural earth order of things. They show faith in God's word in their life, as, even as they name these children. So the lessons here from this section, again, not earth-shattering, but important. 
the first lesson, take all challenges to the Lord. Take every challenge to the Lord. It is the world's wisdom to trust yourself, to say, I've got this, to say, I'm strong enough, I can handle this, I'm good enough, I, 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 me, me, I, me, my. That's the world's wisdom. The wisdom of the Scripture, the Lord's wisdom is to trust Jesus, to trust our Lord. In fact, Proverbs 3, 5 through 7 says, trust in the Lord with all your heart. Not trust in the Lord most of the time or with most of your heart and the other part, then trust yourself because you can do it. Trust in the Lord leaving nothing else because it's all rightly and only placed in the Lord. And do not lean on your own understanding, just in case we weren't sure. In all your ways acknowledge him and he will make straight your paths. Verse 7, people don't often quote, but this is how it also goes. Be not wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord and turn away from evil. All wisdom comes from the Lord, is found in the Lord. The beginning of wisdom is the fear of the Lord. So we take all challenges to the Lord. The beginning of this, we're not fearing circumstances. We're not fearing other people. And we're not trying to find strength in ourselves. We're fearing and trusting the Lord. We take all challenges to our Lord. The second lesson here is to trust Him with the results. Trust Him with the results. Because I may not get the answer. Many times I have not gotten the answer that I've wanted. But I'm trusting Him with the results. In fact, sometimes I've prayed for something and things got even more difficult. I'm sure that's never happened to you. <laughs> things got even harder as they did for Isaac and Rebekah. There's more pain. There's more struggle. But we've got to be learning that everything that's happening is for God's good purposes. And, and the struggle is not that. Okay, I got that part. But the good is God's purposes, our sanctification, His glory. We've got to redefine good because it's not always me getting what I think would be right or me getting what I wanted or what I think would be appropriate. That's, again, where that real struggle is for us. So those are some lessons from that section. Now, again, before we move on, we've made it a habit here of not ducking difficult questions. The Bible raises and answers many questions, even difficult ones. Our job is not to, to question or to try to explain away or sidestep or, or sugarcoat. Our, our job is to give you the Word of God the way He gives it. And many times there are questions and answers that are given, and we've got to take a, a side. We've got to take a stand and say, this is what it says. Was, God, was Jesus man? Was He God or was He both? And the answer has to be he was both, God and man. He can't just be God, that's the wrong answer. He can't just be man, that's the wrong answer, right? As an example, that's clear. Okay, another question that comes up then is from this account, turn over, keep your finger here, but turn over to Romans chapter 9. And this is a big question that many people struggle with. Paul uses this account from Genesis 25 in Romans 9 to make a point about election. Election. He says that not everybody who is physically descended from Abraham was chosen by God to be part of his people. We saw all of the many other nations that God brought about. Not everybody that even came from Isaac was chosen. Esau was not chosen by God to, to keep the line going. 
Jacob only was God's people. Israel was God's possession. They were his people. But not just because they happened to be born by Jacob, by Isaac, by Abraham. It is only the children of the promise who are counted as that offspring, Paul says. Not all children just because they had the DNA from Abraham and through Isaac and through Jacob. So what does he say? Verse 10. And not only so. But also when Rebekah had conceived children by one man, our forefather Isaac, though they were not yet born and had done neither nothing, either good or bad, in order that God's purpose of election might continue, not because of works, but because of him who calls, she was told the the older will serve the younger. As it is written, Jacob I have loved, but Esau I hated. Now that first part, older will serve the younger, we read that in Genesis 25. As for God hating Esau and loving Jacob, that comes from Malachi 1, and it means Jacob I have chosen, Esau I have not chosen. That's the hating versus the loving. But this is God's election, his sovereignty in choosing. Now, we've seen that in Genesis already many times. Um, As we sang this morning, who has given counsel to the Lord? Who told him when to start creating? Who told him how to create? Who gave him advice? Like, you know, I think the world should be round and not a cube or not flat. You know, nobody told him any of that. He created all of it himself. You remember when Noah was chosen, his family was selected. It wasn't because Noah was so great. It was because he found grace in the eyes of God. Abraham was a pagan living among pagans, but God said, go, and he went. Only Isaac is chosen of all of the sons. Many people, to understand this word election, have said, okay, this must mean, because God knows everything, he has looked down through time. He's looked down through the corridor of time, and he said, this person is going to choose me. This person's going to believe in me, um, so I'm going to choose this person. And so based on a decision that they're going to make, God elects, he predestines them. But did you catch again what verse 11 said? Though they were not yet born, and they had done nothing, either good or bad. Neither of them had made a decision to follow God. Neither of them had made a decision to reject God. God selected, God elected. Now that's what God's word says. Jacob was chosen, Esau was not, because God chose one, but not the other. And it wasn't based on anything they would say or do. You say, well, that's not fair. God's a God of justice, and that doesn't sound fair. That's what Paul continues with in verse 14. I'm sorry, not in verse 14. <laughs> yes, verse 14. What shall we say then? Is there injustice on God's part? Is, is, is God being unfair? By no means, for he says to Moses, I will have mercy on whom I have mercy, and I will have compassion on whom I have compassion, so that it depends not on human will or exertion, but on God who has mercy. So he says, no, God's not unfair. He's more than fair in his mercy. That's what God teaches. Well, you say, well, if God has chosen some and not chosen others, well, then how can he judge anybody and send them to hell? That's what he asks in verse 19. You say to me then, why does he still find fault? Who can resist his will? His answer is, well, who are you, O man, to answer back to God? Well, what is molded? Say to its molder, why have you made me like this? God's the one who's all wise. He's the creator. He's done it. He's he's elected, and, and that's the way it is. But there are so many more questions here. Because what about the verses that say, if unless you repent, unless you believe, you cannot enter the kingdom of God, unless you're born again, unless you have decided, unless you've made a, de- a decision, and you follow Jesus' own words, deny yourself, take up your cross, and follow him. How do we square this together? It's a larger question. 
and we invite you to come. We've got a Canyon Facts class coming up soon. Calvinism, Arminianism, what does it mean? Which one am I? Why is it important? Is it important? It's a, it's a, fa- a Canyon Facts frequently asked questions class that we've got coming up. For this morning, we claim Deuteronomy 29, 29, the secret things belong to the Lord, <laughs> but these are written. These are written for us so that we can know, so that we can grow, so we can learn, so we can love. Can, can I explain to you in two minutes or in 200 minutes how it is that God has elected, yet how we have to decide, how we have to repent, how we have to believe to be saved? Can I explain that to you in a way that you will say, that makes perfect sense? No, I cannot. I'm not God. I don't have the omniscience that God has, but we're going to keep on moving here. So uh, just watch for that class come, and we'll discuss more. We'll read more and study that more together. God's plan keeps moving ahead. It's His plan. It's His truth. It's working His way, so trust Him. Trust His justice and mercy. We don't have to try to reconcile it. The Bible never sets out to reconcile it, okay? So we believe that this is the way it happens. Let's get back to Genesis. It's moving, verses 27 to 34. This is now Isaac's told dote, his generations of Isaac, and yet it's all about Jacob and Esau. In fact, in all the way through chapter 35, which is Isaac's generations of, Isaac only gets one chapter. The rest of it's all about Jacob and Jacob and Esau. But verse 27 says, Esau became a skillful hunter, You know, I'm looking at my notes here, (laughs) and I just think there's too much here for us to try to rush through. Um, I think we're going to have to take a break and pick up point four, the fourth section, next week. I hope that's not too disappointing, but I'm looking at the time, and well, that's what the Lord had for us today. (laughs) So we're going to turn to Jacob, the fourth section, next week, Lord willing. And, um, and we're going to just keep learning to trust in Him. We're going to keep learning to follow Him, to watch how He works in life. And when it doesn't match with what we wanted, what needs to change is what we wanted. <laughs> what, what we want needs to be aligned with what God wants. He's told us what He wants. He's told us that He wants us to be different. He wants us to be saints not sinners. In Jesus Christ, we are made saints from inside. And in Jesus Christ, in this life, He, continually, he continues to, to make us practically more like Christ, to change us into saints rather than sinners like we were without Jesus. Let's praise God for that. Father, thank you that you are so good to us. Father, thank you that you are the powerful, omnipotent, omniscient, omnipresent God. God, thank you that you see everything. You know everything. God, thank you that this life and time and history and the future is all going in a direction, in a direction that matters. Father, in a direction that is going to bring ultimate and eternal glory for you and for Jesus Christ, our Savior. Father, thank you for that. We thank you that history and that time and life is not just a big cycle It's not just repeating indefinitely and eternally. But God, you're eternal and your plan will be fulfilled. Father, help us to remember that. Things seem like they're difficult. They don't seem difficult, Father. They are. Things get out of hand. They get difficult for us. And God, we, we rightly are affected by them. 
Lord, help us not to become stoics so that nothing ever affects us. But Lord, as we're affected, as we're brought to our knees, God, we would be brought to our knees in prayer. Father, that we would know that you hear us and that you care, that you're listening, that you're seeing, and that you're bringing all of these things about. Father, help us to learn more about who you are and that we would worship and that we'd not accuse or challenge or test you or question you, God, but that we would question and th- to learn and to know you and to love you. God, thank you that you're so good. Thank you that our Savior Jesus is going to return for us. God, we look forward to that. We praise you in his name. Amen.